my opening scriptures are going to be found in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Starting with verse 12. Very, very familiar scriptures. This is what Jesus says. He says, I tell you the truth, I say unto you, he that believes on, trusts in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then verse 14, he says, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments you can translate to walk in my will. If you love me, walk in my will. And I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth who the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither does it know him. But then listen to what he says. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world sees me no more, but you see me, because I live, you live also. At that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that has my commandments, or he that walks in my will, and keeps it, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father." and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. In this scripture, there is a promise that if you choose to walk in God's will for your life, you love him. It doesn't say that the person who isn't following the will of God for their life, it does not say in these scriptures that God doesn't love that person. So someone who's outside of the will of God, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. It means their love for God isn't reciprocated back to Him. Because to walk in His will is a choice. And you can't choose something that you're not aware of. You have to be first made aware of something that it's available in order to choose it. That's why the ability to choose and to make a choice is one of the greatest gifts given to us. It's one of the greatest gifts that God gives us the ability to choose. It's one of the most destructive gifts at the same time that we have the ability to choose. But the Scripture says that life and death are in the power of the tongue and those that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He said, a good man out of the good treasure stored up in his heart brings forth good things, but a corrupt heart brings forth evil things. And a lot of people think, well, my heart at times sometimes feels evil. If you are using your heart pertaining to your thoughts, they are not the same. You can think something that's not in your heart to do. Thoughts can come to you that are outside of you and all of a sudden they come into your mind that doesn't mean they're coming from your heart. 
But if your words align with the thoughts that are in your mind, you can be assured they're coming from your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And listen to 22. Judas said unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man loves me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our home with him. Did you see that our choice to choose God, to choose his will for our life, didn't cause us to come to God. Jesus said, me and the father will come unto him. A lot of people are in a quest for God, but the reality is, is that God came looking for us before we ever decided to look for him. Because at one time, all of our hearts were evil. We were, like the scripture says, enemies in our minds because of wicked works. But every wicked work that we ever produced in the flesh was placed in the body of Jesus. Every wicked imagination, evil thought, unbelief was placed in the body of Jesus and he consumed it in his death so that those evil thoughts, evil hearts, can never return back to you because they were destroyed in His body. The moment that we chose Him, the Father and Jesus then came to make their home, permanent residence, estate us, with us. So now, Jesus is in the Father, and I'm in Jesus and He's in me. I'm not looking for a distant God somewhere up in the heaven. I can find Him right here. I can find Him inside of this vessel, of this suit. One of the greatest gifts that God has given to men outside of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is that He gave us His armor. He gave us the helmet of salvation. It says to put on the whole armor of God there in Ephesians chapter 6. And it's actually God's armor. He gave us the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. We literally put on the gospel of peace. Everywhere we go, we have the ability to walk in the gospel or actually to walk out the gospel. We have the ability to walk out the gospel and it's through peace. It's through peace. We have the shield of faith, which was Jesus' faith, which is now ours. Because now that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, all His armor became ours. Because He is the head authority, but then He took His armor off and He gave it to us, the body of Christ, because it's still our job to wage war against the adversary of our God. That we take back what He took through deception, we take back through the reality and revelation of truth. The Gospel. That Jesus was the only sacrifice that God ever had to make and will ever have to accept for our complete redemption. 
the weight of my previous life can no longer burden me, not only burden me in my mind, but it has no ability to trouble my spirit. Because now my spirit became one spirit with the Lord, and he who's joined to the Lord, the Scripture says, is one spirit. Not one in spirit, as in thought, but you're one. That's why I said the ability to have a free will and to make choice is one of the greatest blessings and greatest things that man has been given. But the same thing that was so great to us, it can either impact us to impact others, or it can actually impact us to destroy our own lives. That's why people who have committed suicide, they actually took their life ahead of time because they were deceived by the enemy. They left a gap in their generation because each one of us were put here with purpose. God had purposed when He formed man. God had purposed when you were conceived in your mother's womb. God had a purpose for your life. There's no accidents in humanity. Well, my parents didn't plan on having me. Well, God actually did. He planned for you. He planned for me. And He planned for us to walk in something that wasn't common to humanity, and that's His Son. It's true. That He made a place for us at the table. That we're seated with Christ right now in heavenly places. See, when we die, it's just a transfer. You actually go from where you're standing to where you're already seated. There's no fear in death. That's why the Scripture says, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Death no longer has a sting to the born-again believer. The grave can no longer rejoice that it took you. Because you were given eternal life the moment that you trusted in Jesus. Life was eternal for you. Understanding the reason why we are here creates a vision in our life. And vision is all based in purpose. Why am I here? It's the question that the majority of the earth is asking right now. And they don't find answers. You can't find answers in the world's wisdom to why you're here. So they say, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do whatever your hand finds to do. But I can tell you that is a horrible philosophy to live by. Because listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That word vision means sight, dream, revelation, or oracle. That word perish isn't to die. It's to loosen, go back, or make naked. Listen to how the ESV says it. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Like I said, free will is one of the greatest things that God has given us. But free will, left to the will of man, will always destroy itself or destroy whatever it's close to.
because man's nature is sin. And the Scripture says that sin is a reproach to any people. All our sin was placed in the body of Christ. Let me ask you a question. What is the vision that you have for your life? Because if the Scripture's right, and God said that where there is no vision, the people perish, what is the vision for your life? If the Scripture's right, and where there is no vision, or prophetic word, or oracle, or revelation, or dream, that the people cast off restraint, another one says self-control, what's the vision for your life? Yes. That was the next question I was going to ask. Now, what's God's vision for your life? And if the first one and the second one doesn't line up, ask yourself why. If your vision for your life and God's vision for your life, if they don't match, ask yourself why don't they match? Because I can tell you God's will for your life. One of the Scriptures is found in 3 John, verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Beloved, my will. That word wish is will. My desire, my will above everything else is that you would be in good health and prosper even as your soul prospers. So God's will for your life is health. God's will for your life is prosperity. And your soul is your, your thought, your will, and your emotions. Or your thought, your mind, and your emotions, sorry. So, God's will is that we be in good health, that we're prosperous, and that we have a very healthy thought life. Another one of God's wills for your will for your life is Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then you shall call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will listen unto you. And you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And you say, Steve, that was spoken to Jeremiah. And it's true, you're right. It was spoken to Jeremiah, but it was written for Steve Maya. It was written for you, whatever your name is. It's true that it was spoken to Jeremiah. The reason it was written was for us because it says in Romans chapter 4 at the end that all these things were written for our admonition that we could actually take from them. That their promises could become ours. We could receive a promise from God and just like Mary, we could be pregnant by a promise. And we could actually expect to give birth to something in our lives that only God could do through the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know what a virgin is? A virgin is someone who never did it before. Think about that. You have a promise of God that you have never done or walked in before. And just like 
the word of the Lord to Mary from the angel, the word of the Lord that came through one of His saints can actually produce something in you through the Holy Spirit that you can give birth to Jesus in your generation. Because if you pray for someone who's sick and they're healed, they're not going to give you credit for it as a Christian. All of a sudden, Jesus just got birthed into somebody's presence. And you say, Steve, but I've prayed for people and I've never seen anyone healed. Mary was a virgin. She never did it before. But because she believed the Word of the Lord that came to her and said, be it unto me according to your Word, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came upon her that night and produced a seed inside of her that she carried for nine months. And at the right moment of time, the King of kings and the Lord of lords came into the earth. Amen. You guys want to turn to Habakkuk? Chapter 2, we'll start with verse 1. Chapter 1 is just Habakkuk's grievance against the Lord and why isn't he doing anything and uh, how come evil is abounding and the just perish. And then the Lord answers Habakkuk there. And then Habakkuk ends chapter 1 with another complaint. <laughs> so chapter 2, verse 1 starts off like this. He said, I will stand upon my watch and I will set me upon the tower and I will watch to see what he will say to me, he being the Lord. I'll quiet myself. I'll be still. And I will take time to listen what God has to say to me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. A reproof means to instruct. If you're instructed in something, it just means you did something the wrong way and right instructions are coming to you. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run with it that reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will come to pass. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain, that the one that hears it may run with it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak, it shall manifest, and not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Habakkuk here was told by the Lord after he quieted his heart and stopped his complaining and decided, I will wait here. I will set myself upon my tower, which means I will go into the room where nobody else is. And I will see what the Lord has to say to me when I am reproved or when I am instructed. 
And the word of the Lord came to him and said, Write the vision. Make it plain. What do you want? Make it plain so that the people can run with it. And we think that our vision is for other people, but God has a vision for our life. And He wants us to write it so that we can run with it. God has purpose for us. Vision is found in purpose. Our purpose, when our wills are submitted to the will of God, then takes on God's vision. And God's vision always carries His power because of the Holy Spirit directing us and leading us in all truth. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead happens to live inside of me, just happens to live inside of you. The Father and the Son, they came and they made their home with us. There will be one day we leave here and go where they are. But they all came and representative through one person, the Holy Spirit, and made their home in us. And Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. And that the Holy Spirit may be able to manifest the ministry or the promise of God through broken vessels that's been made whole. Because I like what verse 3 says here. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. And sometimes we receive promises and we have so much vision when we receive them. We can see it. But over time, time starts to shape our vision. What hasn't happened yet starts to shape our vision. And the vision just becomes a dream that we dreamt at one time of doing great things, working miracles, leaving a legacy that surpasses our life, that reaches into the future generations and said, Jesus was here. And not just Jesus was here, but Jesus is here. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie though it's been a long time you've been waiting for it. He says in Habakkuk chapter 1 there, he said, I work a work that it'd be hard to believe though a man told it to you. That's what I pray. I pray, Lord, work a work in our lives that it's hard for people to believe though somebody told it to them where they'll have to come and, and say, come and meet a man that told me everything that I ever did. Could this not be a son of God? Could this not be God? And a whole city come out to see if what that person said was true or not. And the person that came to get them was a shamed person. Someone who had been married five times who was rejected but because they were used to seeing her in depression, and all of a sudden they seen her with a joy and a confidence and a boldness. Come and see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Because they seen a change in the woman, they came to see Jesus. When they see a change in us, 
that they'll come to see Jesus. It's true. And I like that when he says wait for it, it actually means to continue in it. If he says wait for it, continue in it. Continue in the vision that I have for your life. Miles Monroe, I listened to a message he preached last week. And it was on vision. Him preaching on vision birthed vision inside of me. That's what happens with good leaders. Because we have a misunderstanding of what leadership is in society today. We think leadership is someone who holds a position of power. That's not leadership. Leadership means someone who empowers, not someone who holds power. That's twisted. It's perverted. True leadership is actually someone who empowers somebody. And by listening to him, it actually empowered me to write a vision to make it plain so that I could run with it. And then to see if my vision matched God's vision and where I was at along the journey to see if I needed to dream bigger or if I really believed that the greater things that I could do because he went to the Father. Because we've become one. This is what he said, having a vision will automatically allow you to know what roads not to take. To get to the end of my desire, what God has planned for my life, I automatically know what roads won't get me there. One of my visions is hell, so I can't sit down and smash 12 pizzas. I can't do that. Why? Because all of a sudden I have vision. All of a sudden, the vision that I have empowers my choices to choose right. That's the significance of vision. That's the significance of having a dream. It's the significance of setting time aside where you isolate yourself and you find out not what God said to somebody else, but what is God saying to you What is your significance in this generation? Because we're all good at certain things, but because we have become jacks of all trades, we have mastered none. I was having a conversation with my buddy Don, and he was telling me how good he is at fishing, you know, because I have another buddy named Tim that always wants to fish with Don. And I said, Don, I said, are you that good at fishing? And he said, I've won tournaments. He said, I've been fishing since I was like three. He said, I know where to catch them, how to catch them. I can tell by a river or lake where to be, what the depth is. And he said, just by being out there for a little bit. And he said, I'm good at a few things. And he said, those things I've poured myself into and I've become great. He wasn't being prideful. He said, it was the Lord speaking to me through Don. And he said, because I poured myself into those few things I was good at, I became great at them. And it reminded me of that, that, you know, I've said it before. Well, you know, I've heard other people say I'm a jack of all trades, but I'm good at a lot of stuff, but I haven't mastered anything because we're trying to do everything and we haven't become masters of anything. If we would take the time to spend with the Lord and invest it, you'll find things that you are phenomenal at. 
Pour yourself into those areas of life and you will become a master at them. You won't become a jack of all trades that have mastered none. Don 68, weightlifting is something else he has poured himself into. He can bench 225 at almost 70 years old. He still stands and curls without swaying 130 pounds. He can still pick up over 300 pounds from a deadlift. And I want to work out with him and I'm 36. My buddy Tim wants to go fishing with him. Tim's 48. Don's 20 years older than him. 32 years older than me. But because he found vision in his life, people that seen his vision and wanted to be better at what they do, connect themselves with them because they make them better. We're those people, but without vision and casting our hands in to do everything, we won't master anything. Because the church has been programmed to believe that we have to do everything. And where that programming is, it ruins the body because competition comes. So instead of Mark sending you to me or me sending you to Mark because what he does is better than me, all of a sudden I can't send you to him because maybe you'll think better of him. But what if he took his time and mastered his craft and I took my time and mastered mine? Then we together could help you master yours. It's where vision is. What has God called us to? What do you feel called to? What desire do you have in your heart that you're still a virgin? You haven't did it yet. You haven't given birth. But you have this desire that won't go away. Sometimes it gets covered up, but it just doesn't leave you. So it could be covered up for five years and then all of a sudden you're cleaning one day and you dust off and you're like, wow, I, I didn't even know you were still there. <laughs> That's a vision put there by God. And every vision that we ever have will be tested. That's what Miles Monroe says, and I believe it. Every vision that we ever have will be tested for authenticity. Not to see if the vision is real, but to see if we're committed to the vision. But having a vision will automatically let you know what roads not to take. And having a, a vision will direct your choices. Having a vision will direct your choices. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore seeing, we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Every vision, every promise that you believe to give birth, every vision that you believe for, the reward is always greater than the sacrifice. Looking unto Jesus, who for the joy set before him, what he envisioned would come to pass, because he knew the reward 
at the end of the vision, his goal, his life's goal, he endured the cross, the persecution, the opposition, whatever tried to oppose him on the weight of his vision to completing the will of God for his life. Because the reward is always greater than what we feel like we have to pay. Because it was for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Vision is foresight, which is based on insight that stems from hindsight. Vision is foresight, which is based on insight that stems from hindsight. If you know where you came from, you know where you're going. Because we're not traveling backwards. We're moving forward. We're actually moving forward. Because you can see what God has done, it shows you not only what He can do, what He will do. God wants to give us vision for our lives where it's supernatural. Not where it's irresponsible. Because there's been such a misunderstanding with Scripture in the body of Christ, we spend most of the time saying what the Scripture's not. <laughs> Instead of saying what the Scripture actually just said. Because Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I say unto you, he that believes on me the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. He said in another scripture that whoever has left lands, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, we can throw in there aunts, uncles, friends, any sort of relative, animals, <laughs> for my sake in the gospel. He said, shall receive a hundredfold in this life, and in the life to come, eternal life. So you think any sacrifice that you have ever made to be where you are, there's a promise associated with it that you can reap a hundred times of that which you left in this earth. David said, my heart would have failed me had I not believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living while I'm still alive. Hope to see. That means he had a vision to see God's goodness because he believed that his purpose on earth wasn't done yet. And he had promises that hadn't been birthed yet. Michelle bought me this leather-bound journal. And so when I got it, she got it for my birthday. So I got it the, the first week of June. And I opened it and I wrote visions and dreams on the side. And I set it down that week and I didn't touch it. Then I forgot it because it got covered up by other books. <laughs> and I thought, you know, after listening to Miles Monroe preach, you know, I thought, I need to get that out. And I need to make that a vision, a vision and dreams journal.
where I write the vision and I make it plain for my life because having a vision will automatically tell me what roads not to go down. (laughs) When I pulled it out, I had completely forgot that I had already wrote visions and dreams in it. And I thought, Lord, that's so amazing. It's so amazing because I had completely forgot about it. But it's the significance that God actually wants us to take time, spend time in His presence. Write your will for your life, your vision for your life down, and then take time before the Lord. Find His vision for your life, His will for your life out, and then see where they match and see where they don't. See where you are. But by having the vision, it makes it easier to get there. Because vision will direct your choices. I started writing the vision that I had. I thought, wow, Lord, you know, I I preached grace. I preached the impossibleness of God. That's nothing, nothing is impossible with you. And and I have a very small, small vision. (laughs) I thought I was a visionary. (laughs) Until I went to put it on paper. And then I seen the significance of why the Holy Spirit was impressing me to do so. Because we think we have big dreams, yeah, but they're just dreams. They don't become vision until they take form on paper. And then you can, you can actually let somebody else read what your vision is. And they can say, I see your vision. But I was actually surprised. Some stuff that I had written down, I had to cross off. Because I thought, that was my will, Lord. That wasn't yours. (laughs) I see how foolish that is now. (laughs) I was feeling a little fleshy that day. (laughs) No, but the significance that we have in this generation that we're irreplaceable in this generation. That's why I said anyone who has ever ended their life early, they left a hole in their generation that can't be filled by anybody else. When Jesus ascended, the Scripture says that God gave gifts unto men. It says that God has measured to every man the measure of faith. That we all have the ability to believe. And discipline will help you get to your vision, your goals. It'll help you. Discipline in the church has become a very dirty word, especially in grace. But discipline is one of the best friends you'll ever have. Discipline will help you. There was things that I had to discipline myself to do. But over time, if you exercise discipline enough, it turns into passion. Discipline actually bears fruit. When your body wants to do one thing and you say no, you discipline it. When you say no, you're not doing that. All of a sudden, passion begins to develop where in the place of discipline. I used to discipline myself to lift weights because I had a vision that I was going to be strong one day. So the first time I ever went into the gym, it was painful, it hurt, I hated it. The second time was even worse because all those muscles were ripped and I went back to back. And I thought, this is the worst thing in the world. But I believed that I could get stronger 
if I continued to discipline myself to get there. And I did. I went from struggling to lift 90 pounds on a bench to eventually I got up to 370 because of vision. But I exercised discipline. Like I said, instead of trying to master everything, if we could find one thing or two things or three things that God's given us gifts to and we have a passion for, even if it starts out in discipline, if you'll be consistent long enough to see the fruit of discipline which produces reward in your life, I promise you that it'll turn into passion. And if you don't have those disciplines in your life, if you feel like, well, you know, there's certain areas in my life that, you know, I just don't have that discipline, Steve. Like, what you're saying sounds great, but where can I buy that at? (laughs) Jesus said you have not because you haven't asked. For us to receive, what if it was just about us asking for His ability? to do His will in our life? What if it was just about asking Him for the desire to do and to perform His will? Because it's God that works in us. Both the ability to do His will, the desire and the ability to do His will. It's God that works in us. He's the one that does His will in our life. Our only part of this whole equation is submitting my will to His will. But in order to submit your will to His will, you have to first know what it is. You can't submit unto the will of something that you don't know is available or is God's will. A lot of people believe that God's will is sickness. So therefore, when sickness comes, they submit to it because they believe it's God's will. They don't fight against it. I love what Sarah did. She fought it against, against sickness with everything. Prayer, the Word, anything that's available on earth because that's not God's will. And the Scripture says, whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. We have the reward and the opportunity to make the enemy pay with the same things that he tried to use against us. That's what I said in in another sermon, that anything that I contended for to get, anything that I pressed into the Lord, and it's not works, don't get me wrong. Jude wrote and he said, I tell you, I'm writing unto you to tell you to earnestly contend for the faith, (laughs) which was once delivered unto the saints. So it's not works. It's not contending for in order to receive something from God. But I tell you what, it sure is work to find out what you already received. (laughs) If you don't think it is, you've never tried. (laughs) But anything that I contended for, whether it's in fasting, whether it's in prayer, where I just sought the Lord, not through works, but where I sought Him to receive something. Anytime that I've ever did that and I received something from Him, whether it's revelation or a gift or anything else, all of a sudden, what I received, I can then make free to everybody else. That you can receive the same revelation that I contended for. You can receive it because now I have it to give to you. It's amazing. It is. 
I believe in fast. I still fast today. I mean, you can't tell. I'm not fasting today. <laughs> I don't want to lie to you. And then you see me at Burger King later and be like, hey, Steve's a liar. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a whopper. <laughs> but I don't believe fasting is Old Testament. I don't think it was done away with with Jesus. I believe that there are certain things that we can do in our flesh that kills our flesh. <laughs> when I'm having a hard time, like figuring something out, you know, I just say, well, flesh, you've been a little too busy lately. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and not feed you today. See how you like that? <laughs> it never likes it. <laughs> no, but I hope this message just blesses you. I hope that you guys will get such a vision for your life that, like the Scripture says, nothing shall be impossible for you. That we become masters of what God's called us to so that other people actually are drawn, drawn to us because we actually have answers, solutions, and we become real leaders that empower other people Amen. So Lord Jesus, I just want to thank You. I want to thank You that uh, true vision, it's found in You. And I thank You, Father, that it's the glory of the Lord to conceal a thing, but it's the honor of kings to search it out. So Father, I just want to thank You that You're the one who came to us and You made Your home in us. It's Your glory that concealed things in our life, Lord but it's our honor to search them out. And Father, I ask you that as we begin to search them out as a body, that vision would be birthed in this body like never before. That we would all strive for the unity, Father, and come into the common faith which is in Christ. And that this body functioning and flowing together with all the members in its right place will be able to produce vision in other people's lives, vision in this community, Father a vision all around the world, Lord, that people would start seeing you as a good God that's not mad at them or holding their sins against them, but that they would realize that you're a good Father and that you love us with everlasting love and you love uh, the people in the world just like you love us for why we were yet sinners, you died for us. So we just want to thank you, Father. And we just bless all the saints in the sound of my voice. In the name of Jesus, amen.